Episode 591. Smartphones, teens, anxiety, depression. The stats don't lie. Hi and welcome to today's episode where I'm going to be discussing so much and such important content that every parent should be aware of. If you know of a parent who is struggling with their child, be it anxiety, depression, they're experiencing sadness, loneliness, their lack of lack of motivation, then please reach out to them and share this episode with them because doing so could help them a lot. I think parents today really are at their wits end as to how to deal with all these symptoms that so many of our children are facing. And I said in the title that the stats don't lie and I saw a post on Facebook just recently that actually came, was from it was from 2020. But it was from a pediatric neurologist called Dr. Ovid. And he stated that he was warning of a silent tragedy unfolding in our homes, a tragedy involving our children. They are the most precious jewel, yet we are allowing them to succumb to this tragedy. And the tragedy is the alarming increase in the rate of mental health issues with the teenage population. He described it as an acute and constant increase in childhood mental illness reaching epidemic proportions. And the stats from 2020, which reflected the previous 20, 15 years, so from 2005 to 2020, saw one in five children having reported mental health issues, a 43% increase in the diagnosis of ADHD, a 37% increase in teen depression, and a 200% increase in suicide in 10 to 14-year-olds. These are dire, dire statistics. I looked for some more, for some more recent numbers, and it came back to, you know, similar, similar figures. In 2019, more than one third of high schoolers at some stage throughout the year felt sad or hopeless. In February 2022, the Centre for Disease Control and Prevention noted that one in five kids were suffering from mental health issues. The University of Calgary here in Canada post pooled 29 studies together and studied 80,879 youth and came to the conclusion that the rates of anxiety and depression have doubled since the pandemic. We have to do something about this. I have my thoughts on it. Everybody has their own opinion on it. But the bottom line is, if your kid has signs of anxiety and depression, we have to do more. And so often we just don't know what to do. And I want you to listen to this because I think there are lots of things we can do. Now, we're not all counsellors. And if you really suspect that your child is suffering, then you have to consult the services of a licensed professional um, and in the form of a counsellor, a therapist, maybe your family doctor. So do not ignore these symptoms. 
You know your child best and trust your gut and trust your intuition. If you think it's beyond, dare I say, normal anxiety uh, in in teenage in your teenager, and I say normal anxiety because we we all have to have a certain amount of anxiety about things because we have to we have to know when to worry. It's whether or not that worry, you know, starts taking over their lives. And before I go any further, I want to use a definition of anxiety by Sharon Selby, who's a colleague of a former work colleague of mine. I really value her work, and she says. Anxiety is, quote unquote, a future-based, agitated, negative-orientated thinking pattern that does not match with a real threat. It is a perceived threat. I'll say that again. Anxiety is a future-based, agitated, negative-oriented thinking pattern that does not match with a real threat. It is a perceived threat. In other words, anxiety concerns our thinking and often negative ways of thinking. So the thinking creates thoughts, negative thoughts. We perceive these thoughts as being real and a real threat, but any thought is not real. So the threat is not real. It's a perceived threat and it can become so real to the person that they can't see that it's not real. So if you do suspect that your child needs professional help, please do not overlook that and take your child to see a medical professional to get help. So I want to talk about how I think we can help. And I think I could end this by saying five words. Get them off their phones. And I don't mean permanently. I actually think in some situations it does need to be permanently. And there are many psychologists now, world leaders, who are coming to that conclusion that in order to actually help these kids, we have to get them off their phones. Their phones are ruling their lives. So how can we help them? I want to talk about getting them off their phones. But beyond that, what do our kids need they need their basic needs met. Basic needs like their sleep, nutrition, healthy boundaries, exercise, spending time as a family, meal times together, having designated times where they're not on their phones. But this generation of teenagers are the most chronically de- sleep deprived people that the world has ever seen. They are not getting enough sleep. And if your kids are sleeping with their phones, I'm saying this with compassion, but if they are sleeping with their phones because they tell you they need them as alarm clocks, please don't fall prey to it. Get them an old-fashioned alarm clock. They will tell you that their phones are on sleep on, on airplane mode and that they don't answer them at night. I'm here to tell you otherwise. I know of no child who can have a phone by their bed, or I certainly know very few kids who can have the phone by their bed, even on airplane mode, and not wake up and check their phones. The average teenager, this was years ago, five years ago, was being woken up three to four times a night by their phones. You're, it's very difficult to ignore a sound on your phone, whether it be a buzz, 
a notification. They tell you they've switched their notifications off. I urge you not to not believe them because you don't trust them, but because it is beyond that. It is such an addictive force that they can't say no to. We can't trust the phone. So try and get their phones out of their rooms. My son just the other day showed me his phone and said, look, mum, and he, he showed me this girl's phone, girl in his class, and he showed me how often she was on Snapchat during the night. I was horrified. I know they're on it. This was unbelievable. The phone was only really inactive after 2.45 a.m. And between, so that's when this girl actually put the phone down. You could see she was highly active till 2.45. Then she was less active, but she was on the phone at 4 a.m., at 4.40, at 5.10, at 5.40. And she was up and at school the next day. And her parents will be blind to it. Her parents will not know. So I don't want to say any more about that. But how else can we help our kids and how can we meet their needs? So those needs, like making sure they get their sleep, that they have a healthy diet, that there are boundaries in place, particularly boundaries around their screen time usage, that they are outside getting fresh air, taking some exercise, that they are seeing friends in person, that you're doing things as a family, that you're sitting around the dining table for meal times, whether it be breakfast, lunch or dinner, please make sure you try and get that in and have no phones at the tables. Beyond these basic needs, the core basic needs of every man, woman and child is to be seen, to be heard, to be understood, to feel like we belong and to feel worthy and that we matter. And this is where I want to just deviate a bit to this, the feelings of being worthy and good enough that we belong and we matter. Look at what's happening on the phones particularly with girls in social media, is that they believe that likes mean friends, mean I am popular. It is such a fake sense of connection and belonging. Totally fake. You can help your kids understand that. Help them see beyond it. I'm not saying don't post things. My kids post things. But if they go to check on the likes, I go, really? So what does it mean? And they look at me and they say, well, I've got however many likes. I went, oh, you're so popular. Does that make you feel good? I kind of am humorous about it. But they understand that likes don't equal popularity. Likes don't equal friends. They are simply likes. And help them understand that they are looking to other people and what other people think of them to, to, to justify how they think of themselves. In other words, I feel good about myself when all these people like my photograph and I don't feel good about myself if not enough people comment on my photograph. Help them understand they are way beyond that. They also strive for perfection. They're always looking for the perfect photo. Help them understand there is no such thing as perfection. What is perfect? If anything, help them understand they are perfect just the way they are. They don't need the photograph. They don't need the likes. They don't need the validation from the outside to prove to them they feel good. 
they know deep inside that it's superficial validation, it's external validation. And all of that does not, does not breed self-motivation, self-esteem and, and feelings of worth. They, no amount of likes can help someone feel worthy. In fact, beyond it, they, they, know, they know deep down that it's meaningless, that it's superficial. It's like praise. And I'm not going to go on in this episode about praise. If you've followed me and listened to the show, you'll know that encouragement is a far greater indicator and a way to help your kids feel good about themselves and develop motivation and a healthy sense of self-worth and self-esteem through encouraging them, not praising them. And likes on Instagram photos and threads on Snapchat are no indication of anything positive. So help them understand that. Help them understand that happiness is a choice. So many kids, when they're feeling sad, they get caught up in it. And I'm not saying ignore any feelings. I'm saying all feelings are important and need to be honoured, need to be felt in order to move through the feeling and process the feeling. But to understand that happiness is a choice, that we can choose how we want to feel. Help them understand that. Also, help them understand the power of gratitude and giving. That if we give and we contribute, it can make us feel really good about ourselves. And we come to the realisation and help your kids understand that the giving becomes the receiving. When they give, it's the action of giving, the feelings of giving that feels good. So the receiving are the good feelings that come with the giving. Help your kids understand that. Also, they have to have limits on their, particularly their social media time. That would include TikTok, Instagram, Snapchat and gaming. Those four are the silent killers. So please set limits on it. Your kids will hate you for it. But do you want your child to be the next statistic? I don't want mine to. And I fight really hard to help my youngest, my my older two. They're 19 and 21 now. It's up to them. But as long as my, my kids are living at home, I will do my utmost to put limits on the amount of time they spend on social media. I'm fortunate my son doesn't game, but he does partake in other social media activities. Also help them change their story about missing out. FOMO, fear of missing out. These bloody phones and their social media and the social media platforms. These kids are anxious if they're not on these platforms. And they're anxious when they're on them. Snapchat is just the pits, especially Snap Maps. Kids can look and see where all their friends are and come to the realisation that they are not where the group is and that they're missing out or that they haven't been invited. This is a terrible thing. Also, that all of them know exactly where all of them are at any given time. It even shows you, if they're playing tennis, it puts a tennis racket in their hand. If they're in a car, it puts them in a car traveling. My son's gone, going, oh, mum, 
This person's on the highway with us as well. They're just a bit behind us. And I'm horrified. There's no privacy. They know their every waking move. They know that every sleeping move, even if they go to sleep, they know. So help them change the stories around missing out. So if your kid is like, I'm the only one that hasn't been invited to the party. Look, mum, they're all at Jessica's house. And you go, hmm, it does look like there's a few people at Jessica's house. But not everyone's at Jessica's house. No, they all are. Well, who's everyone? And they'll list the people there. So when they list those people, ask them where the other people are. You know your your kid's friend's name. So say, where? well, where's where's Bella? Oh, no, she's not there. But where's Bella? Oh, she's at home. So Bella's not there either. And they'll make some excuse that, oh, yeah, well, Bella's not part of that group. Say, well, Bella's not there. You're not part of that group either. But you want to be part of the group because you see the groups there. Help them see that they're not missing out. Help them understand that when they're all together with a group, there will be other kids sitting at home seeing their group. That they can't go to everything. So they're not missing out. Help them change the story. So, oh, Jessica's having a few friends round. That doesn't mean Jessica doesn't like me. It doesn't mean you're not popular. It doesn't mean anything other than you weren't, in, you weren't invited to the gathering at the house. It might have been a last minute thing. They might have been all walking home from school and suddenly Jessica said, hey, come to my house. It wasn't orchestrated. It wasn't that they said, well, we're going to have this person, this person, this person, but not these people. This is how I speak with my, my son to help him understand that many of these gatherings are not calculated gatherings. They are spontaneous gatherings to which those that happen to be around are included in. So I help him change the story. Jessica had a few friends over. I wasn't there when, it, when the, the gathering came to be. So I wasn't on their radar. As simple as that. And if he goes, yeah, but I don't know if she likes me. Say, that's a story in your head. Remember the, the definition of anxiety, a future-based, agitated, orient, negative-oriented thinking pattern that doesn't match with a real threat. It's a perceived threat. So my son's perceived threat is, I am not popular and I don't belong because I didn't go to Jessica's because I can see the gathering on Snapchat. So do you see how powerful this is, how you can help them change the story and help them understand that they're not missing out on anything. And help them understand that when they are involved in something, someone else is quote-unquote missing out. There are so many things we can do to help our kids and try and manage this dire situation that we have come to find ourselves in. And I'm saying we as in parents today. And many of these statistics are in line with the, the invention of the smartphone. In 2010, when the smartphone came out, that's when we saw, began to see rapid increases in the amounts of anxiety and depression. And there's many articles, one of which I was reading before I, I recorded this, that say whatever the stats are now, 
it can take three to four years for the full symptoms of anxiety and depression to manifest themselves. So if they're saying that the rates have doubled since COVID, we haven't seen the worst of it because so many of the symptoms are not fully, fully grown yet. So we need to do something about it and we need to take it seriously and we need to look at these smartphones and get a grip on them and help our kids manage their media diets. I really feel strongly about this. I I think this is a gargantuan problem, like so enormous. We we're only seeing the tip of the iceberg. We are not seeing the real ill effects of it yet. We're not seeing what it's doing to this generation. We're not seeing what this chronic sleep deprivation is doing to them because they can keep going right now. But what does four years of minimal sleep, four years of four hours of sleep a night for a 14-year-old to an 18-year-old, what happens to them when they're 20, 22, 25? What are the effects of that? Because it's not sustainable. We need sleep to grow. Their brains need sleep to develop. Their brains need sleep to lay down the information they've gained in a day. That's when it's all laid down, is during sleep. And if they're not getting their sleep, so much essential development is not getting a chance to happen. But because we are such uh, resilient creatures, we keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going. How long is this sustainable? Is is this... um, are they capable of keeping going on so little fuel? We can't run our cars on empty. These kids are on empty. They are not getting the sleep they need. So please, if there's one thing you do, is try and make sure that your kids get better sleep, that you spend a bit more time with them, that you spend time unplugged off your phones. Have Unplug times as a family, sit around the dinner table without their fo- the phones. We can do a lot. We can help them feel more w- worthy in the language we use. We can f- help them feel better and good enough through the language we use, through encouraging them. We can help them feel safe and that they belong through how we connect with them and how we use our boundaries and limits and how we show up. And one thing I was about to finish off here before I said this, probably one of the most important things, is monkey see, monkey do. You are the biggest influence in your child's life and your digital habits will pave the way for your kids' digital habits. So take a look at yourself, put the spotlight on yourself and ask yourself, how good am I with regard to my phone? Do I pick it up constantly? Do I have it on the table beside me? Do I take it out my my purse when my kids are there just to check because my phone went bzz? Ask yourself these questions. It's hard. But if we want them to be better, we have to be better. So if you've enjoyed this episode, please do not forget to share it. Share it on Instagram. Share it on any of the social media platforms you use. Share it via email. Go into whatever platform you listen to this on. Copy and 
uh, the link and send it to friends, send it to family, help get the word out. We need help. Parents need help. I need help. In a funny way, not funny, haha. me recording this podcast helps me take it really seriously and do more, do more to help my son put his phone down and help him spend more time outside, help him spend more time connected in person with his friends. It's really, really important. The statistics don't lie and they are not good. And just let me let me remind you of the, one of the opening lines. Dr. Ovid, a pediatric neurologist, warns of a silent tragedy unfolding in our homes. Don't let this tragedy unfold in yours. And if you're listening to this thinking, well, it's already unfolded, it's already happening, I give up, there's nothing more I can do. Please don't give up, don't stop, don't, don't give up the fight. Hold on to the connection you have with your kids. And to do that, we need to curtail the amount of time they're on their phones. Okay, enough. I'm going to stop there. Thank you so much for listening. I look forward to being with you all soon. The next episode is going to be on listening and beyond the listening. So if you're interested in that, please do tune in. It will be out in the next week or so. So till next time, thanks again and bye for now.